Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey guys, before we even start this episode, I just want to thank all you people on Patreon. You're absolutely amazing. We're still a long way from reaching our goal and I'm hoping some of the other listeners can step it up and throw in two bucks a month, five bucks a month on the Patreon page. Again, just go to Patreon and search Mark Striegel or Talking Metal. We definitely need your support. We really, really need your support uh, in more ways than you could imagine. But uh, yeah, so if you can support there, that's awesome. Or if you can do what Anthony Mackey just did, which is send a PayPal donation, I totally appreciate that. Anthony, you rock. Thank you for always supporting what I do here. And another guy who just sent in uh, a $5 PayPal donation, Gene Rogers. Gene, you just said just found your podcast. So awesome. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Gene. I'm glad you found us after, what, 13 years here. Um, Better late than never. And I hope to give you another 13 years. I don't know if I can do much more than that. 20, can you imagine 26 years of Talking Metal? That would be crazy. But uh, anyways, yeah, Gene, thank you so much for supporting. And now let's get into the episode. We're going we're gonna to do a thrash metal episode for the most part. Some other conversations, too, will happen here. But mostly we're going to talk about L.A. thrash metal. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. All right, we're going to get right into an interview with Carl Alvarez of the Inside Metal documentary series. Always a pleasure to talk with Carl. He's been on numerous episodes of Talking Metal, and it's great to have him back. So let's, uh, without further ado, talk some thrash metal with Carl Alvarez. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and we have on the line, once again, it's been a little while, Carl Alvarez, one of the producers of the great Inside Metal documentary series. Carl, how are you? Pretty good, Mark. Um, all is well, and I'm glad to be here. So glad to be talking with you and everyone. 
Yeah, man. The new edition or episode, I guess I'd call it, of of the Inside Metal documentary series is great as as always. I mean, they all have been great. This is just a, a really great story, and it is the rise of L.A. thrash metal. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. And uh, what's the website, Carl? Where can people buy the DVD? Uh, well, primarily people have been buying it on Amazon. Uh, they go to Metal Rock Films. I'm not sure if it's up on there. I, I got to kind of peruse myself to see because, you know, it, it just got released uh, April 6th, this, the second part to the, you know, the Rise of L.A. Thrash Metal. Right. Um, so it's out there. Uh, it's on Google Play. Um, I know a lot of people are kind of streaming seems to be the method of choice these days. So that's, yeah. those are good avenues to and I'm go look, down. I'm looking at Amazon right now, and it looks like both uh, the Rise of Thrash Metal, the the, the one and two uh, DVD of that are up on Amazon. So we'll definitely have that link through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com and TalkingRock.net. And the production of this, Carl, were most of these interviews done when you were, you know, it started production on the whole Inside Metal series like years ago? Or did you have to do new interviews for the Rise of L.A. Thrash Metal edition? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, a lot Bob uh, had done 2012-2013. Um, you'll see a lot of, uh, uh, <laughs> if you watch the movie, um, a lot was done at Silver Cloud Studios, which was, uh, where Joe Floyd, uh, the, the other producer, uh, did a lot of the filming. So you'll see kind of the terrace area, um, kind of into the future after that, you know, we, there were, there was interviews after that, you know, David Ellison, we did, we actually did, we did him. I remember we went up to actually, up to LA to interview David Ellison and um, they were, he was recording um, the project he did with Frank Bellow at Jay Rustin's house. And I didn't even know we were going to Jay Rustin's house, but you'll see the footage there uh, between uh, Frank Bellow and and David Ellison is is pretty much the same because that's the backyard of uh, Dave, uh, Jay Rustin, the producer that uh, did the project that Frank Bellow and David Ellison did. So You'll, you'll as see well a as lot. the last Anthrax record. Uh, yeah, exactly. For All Kings, a great record, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And he was very nice, very gracious, and it was a great studio too. We got a little sneak peek of that too. So it was kind of cool. It was kind of a surprise actually for us because it was just going to be David Ellison and Frank Bell is like, hey, you know. So he jumped in there too, and it was great because, you know, we we want to really give that kind of. Um, you know, we don't want to like be kind of narrow casted in the sense that we just had L.A. guys. I mean, primarily there are L.A. guys, but, you know, the whole experience of thrash metal is a global experience. I mean, I think that's what we kind of found out when we started doing this, although we knew three of the four big four bands were L.A. based. But the, thrash just seemed to be a global phenomenon. So it was really good to have these other people who we're looking at the scene from the outside in versus the inside out. So, yeah. And you know, the, the main thing I think that's so that this documentary does well, that's so important. You know, when, when people today think of thrash metal, they think of, you know, San Francisco for the most part is the, is the, 
city that's associated with it. And, you know, we have different cities that are associated with different styles of music. Everyone knows that. But but it, this this really shows that, in a lot of ways, those roots of thrash really kind of stretch back to the, the L.A. area. I mean, even... Not just you know, not just Metallica and, and and or I'm sorry, Megadeth and and Slayer, but Metallica too. This is this is a band that definitely started in L.A. Correct? Yeah, that's for sure. If you look at it, really, um, really going back, I mean, obviously Metallica just kicked it off, and you know they were basically based out of Norwalk, California. It's a suburb of L.A. Uh, if you look at Slayer. Uh, you know, Kerry King grew up in Downey, went to Warren High School. Uh, Downey is that Orange County? Uh, no, it's L.A. No, County. That's it's L.A. A, okay. It's adjacent to to Norwalk. You look at Dark Angel; they're Long Beach based, Downey based, Huntington Beach based. So it's a bit of Orange County, a bit of L.A. County, but the suburbs, not primarily the L.A. hub. You know, I, I think. I think we've talked about it in previous episodes. Okay, well, how come there weren't any metal bands from Manhattan? You right, know? yeah. And yeah. for us, it's like, well, it's we don't suburban really have thing. It is a completely a suburban thing. You think of the kid that likes metal uh, hanging out with their friends. It's really a suburban thing, you know? So it really goes to show you that it that's, that's really where the roots started out. And we've talked about it before, too, that – Orange County was really a good stomping ground because L.A. was a little bit more sophisticated and they had more of a – they were more entrenched in the music scene as a whole rather than Orange County kind of had a, a perfect opportunity for these bands to kind of hone in on what they were all about before being showcased to the world stage. That would be L.A. if you think about it. But they were also shut out too. You know, They weren't, they weren't treated like – the other bands who kind of had a, their foot in the door, they really had to work a little extra harder because uh, the, the music was a little more intense. The, the crowds were probably maybe between being sparse and between being full force, you know. Uh, There's a point where uh, Juan Garcia, from who's now in Body Count, but back then he was in a band called Abattoir, um, they started to make a little headway up at the L.A. clubs and Kerry King knew Juan Garcia and said, hey, can you know, we'd really like to get up in the L.A. clubs, too. And they were able to get on a night when they opened up for Slayer. This is 1984, January. And that was through Juan Garcia kind of getting them into the inroads because he was friends already with Blackie because they had already done some gigs together with with Wasp. Uh, we're talking about uh, Abattoir when Juan Garcia was in that band. So it's a, it's a little bit of kind of a camaraderie yet helping one people out yet growing the scene and it wasn't even called thrash even back then you know thrash that term just started making inroads maybe 84 but definitely by 85 it was kind of a it was cross between speed metal and thrash that's what people started calling it as by 86 it was definitely it was thrash yeah and i mean like I remember hearing Agent Steel for the first time, the, the what was it, the Skeptics Apocalypse album, mm-hmm. and just being blown away. And at that time, I remember my friend who turned me on to them. He was like, "This is a speed metal band," but it's now, I don't know. I'd almost when you look back at it, they're they're kind of 
thrashy. I would, I mean, I would call them a thrash band, but it, the, that that term thrash definitely really didn't take hold, like you said, until like '86 or even '87. You know, with the mainstream public. Yeah, if you look like at a band like um, I just go across the the waters here, even a band called Hel- you know Halloween. If you look at the walls of Jericho record, yeah. you know they were doing the real. It was really fast and really powerful, but. They just called it heavy metal, but it was kind of thrash, but it was kind of heavy. It, there was that a lot of that going on across the world. You had bands like Creator, Destruction. I mean, Germany really kind of took took the baton too in terms of Europe and and Celtic Frost especially too. They were they were really important to the whole thing. And you see a lot of when 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 the LA scene was fostering itself too. Slayer got those tours with those bands with Voivod and. And, you know, there started to be like an interwoven connection on a global scale. So it was it it was interesting to see how that developed in in terms of they were really separated from the whole metal scene. They were their own little monster really out there. Right. And the guy you mentioned earlier, was it Juan Garcia? I mean, he he was in Agent Steel, right? Yeah, he he was an amateur. And then they they decided to uh, join forces, I guess. It, um, yeah, and then Agent Steel came about, absolutely. So that was 85, 86. Yeah. Cool. And as somebody who, you know, was living in that area at that time, there seems to have been, as there was nationally, probably internationally, such a, like, these lines were drawn between commercial hard rock bands and and thrash bands and it was very hard to cross the lines you know i was a guy who liked in 1986 i liked that first poison record look what the cat dragged in i mean had a rough edge you'd listen to the title track i mean that's a hard rocking song with with metal overtones but i also was listening to agent steel and and megadeth and armored saint and there was like this weird thing where you couldn't you couldn't really like both there was such division even within the heavy metal community and it seems like that division was really strong in, in Los Angeles and and may have even in some ways caused some of these bands to want to disassociate themselves from the city of Los Angeles and the 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 word you know the Hollywood world, if you will, is it? Is, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, each each party, whether it be the glam side or the thrash heavier side, they were each each other's antithesis <laughs> to one another. Right. Uh, they really kind of carved out their own areas. Basically, you could kind of look at it as maybe the suburbs were where more the thrash element was, I suppose. And maybe more of the Hollywood scene was more where everybody else was directed at in terms of the whole glam thing. I don't know. We didn't really call it glam. Although, if you were an outsider, that's what you would call it. Right. Glam. So there would be the Poisons, or the Warrens, or the maybe even a little Black and Blue, and these these other bands that were kind of shifting their direction, too, by the second record into a more commercial kind of yeah. look. And, yeah, and, I mean, glam was a weird title because we never called it glam either. This is, you know, a kid growing up in the Chicago suburbs. We specific because glam was T Rex, you know, sweet and you know, 
even Bowie, Ziggy Stardust era Bowie, at least that 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 stuff was was glam, you know. But even you know the New York Dolls was kind of glam punky, you know. But we always specifically called it glam metal because glam was something different. But glam metal, of course, was like the Poison and the Rat, and and you could even throw like Black and Blue in there. But um, you know, we also referred to it as commercial hard rock, you know. So I don't know. There, I just feel like it seemed like it was such a counterproductive thing for guys with long hair and distorted guitars, who a lot of them could play their instruments very well to to just not get along and and fight a common cause of 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 you know rock music. It was it just because the divisions were bad. I mean, there were there were fights. People people hated each other on you know, and you really couldn't successfully subscribe to both camps, you know. Yeah, I had a friend of mine. Uh, you remember him telling me a story. Uh, uh, he was wearing a Masters of Puppet T-shirt, and this must have been maybe eighty seven, eighty six. And I remember him and a bunch of other guys. They went to a party where a couple of guys in Warrant were there. I guess they were throwing the party, and and they got the kind of uh, stink eye from the guys in warrant that you know they were kind of and my friend lives in downey by the way that i'm talking about so um you know it's you know kind of looking at it as down uh, down at it you know and so there was a you know i don't know maybe it was because the 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 thrash guys were really the technical side of things and really proficient at at the riffs and it was complex you know it's coming from this world of the new wave of british heavy metal and king diamond and celtic frost and it it was a it was a little bit more complex you know and maybe the the glam guys were just into the you know the verse verse chorus bridge verse solo you know and that was kind of the end of the story and and you know the lyrics weren't as you know if you look look at dave mustaine and his lyrics or james hetfield they're really complex very deep um deep meanings and, and, and very disturbing, disturbing content. That, yeah. Like Slayer too. I mean, really delving into the kind of the dark side, you know, of, uh, whether it be, um, you know, but uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's weird because I hear what you're saying and maybe as far as song structure goes, there was, uh, more, more simplicity to what the commercial hard rock bands and quote unquote glam metal bands were doing. However, some of the greatest guitar players as far as solos go, I mean, look at Warren D. Martini or George Lynch. I mean, those guys, they just killed it. And I mean, you have guys like Gary Holt now admitting, you know, when I interviewed Gary Colt, uh, Holt uh, from Exodus a number of years back, he he basically told me, yeah, we 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 would go on the tour bus and make sure no one was, was watching and we'd put on Tooth and Nail by Dokken and, you know, the first rat album out of the cellar and we'd we'd shred and and practice those those solos because those guys were were really good and and but we could never really tell anybody that we liked those guys which just seems crazy to me the moral of the story is never admit what you really like if you know you're gonna right. get put down yeah yeah <laughs> that's you what go. you know it's and it probably didn't do anybody any favors but if you were trying to be cool it's the difference between drinking a wine cooler and drinking, you know, a 40 or, you know, a straight whiskey, you know, right. it, you had to be extreme in, in how you presented yourself or you just weren't cool, you know? 
Now yeah. it's cool. I mean, people will really accept the kind of oddities that they are, and everything yeah. kind of works together, you know? Yeah, but... I think people are way more accepting nowadays. And, you know, let's let's talk, uh, again, we're talking with Carl Alvarez, one of the producers of the Inside Metal documentary series, which is just a great series that everyone should watch from the beginning. But the the new edition, of course, is the rise of L.A. thrash metal. Let's talk about a band, Suicidal Tendencies. Now, I remember for, as, a, as a kid, for the first time hearing the song, what was it? Uh, I, I, shot, I Shot Reagan, I Shot the Devil. You know that? I Shot the Devil, I think is the name of the song. And I could not fucking believe what I was hearing. It was... It was mind-altering. I, I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard anything like it, not not even anything close to it. Let's talk about that band, Suicidal Tendencies, who basically started out as more of a hardcore punk band and kind of evolved into like a metal band or possibly one of the first metalcore bands, if you will. They're, they're covered in this film. And let's just, I guess, what are your memories of this band coming onto the scene? Well, Venice, California, it was kind of a distant world for us, but what we heard about it wasn't, it was kind of dangerous. Uh, it's a it really very was, different Venice Beach than it is in 2018, right? Oh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a very rough place. That movie Colors, I don't know if you remember that, the Sean Penn uh, movie, that was Dennis, Dennis Hopper actually, I think, directed it. That was shot in Venice, and that was, you know, that was the rough gang violent area uh of the of the the coast the beach there right yeah and that's pretty much yeah that pretty much sums it up at least at that time um it's probably a little bit more cleaner and and more presentable it's but yeah so you got that backdrop um and them coming from a punk attitude and then incorporating the metal they were probably the best and the first to actually do it these guys were also very proficient at their instruments. Um, you look at that first Frontiers record, um, you know, Institutionalized is a, automatically a classic song. It was played on uh, the local New Wave station, KRQ. Um, it wasn't being played on, on the metal stations yet, or at least the ones that had metal programming. You probably could hear it on a college metal show or even a punk show. But by the time Rocky George joined the band, it started to change a lot and evolve where Rocky George was more of a, 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 a great player. He was a follower of Uli Roth, but he was also a fusion guy, too, and understood that world. And then coming into the whole suicidal thing and the whole attitude that Mike Muir had, who actually, you know, his brother was designing skateboards, all the Dogtown skateboard designs. So they automatically grew up into that world of kind of the entrepreneurial ship, but yet this kind of dark seedy gang environment they grew up in. And it, it all kind of came together in a sense because people could identify with these guys and their sound. And they, it was almost like an army. I mean, you see the second record join the army. I mean, that's yeah. called the arms right there, you know? Yeah. And suicidal became not just a band, it became a movement. And you see them later just kind of growing off of that and, you know, being embraced and doing these tours with, you know, they had management with Megaforce. And then I remember my friend, I've talked about her before, Sue Tropio, who became very good friends with, with Rocky George. And then she went on to work for um, Q Prime and got them on the Q Prime roster. And wow. then 
they were able to get the you know the Metallica tour um, and doing Europe and obviously getting the 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 tour with um, uh, what was the big one uh, that was uh, Clash of the Titans so, right yep. So, yep. You know, they, they're a perfect of example of what the crossover thing and how it fit with the thrash thing. They were just kind of like um, two two brothers uh, working in, in this world of duality between this kind of extreme underground and and enjoying ex- this this mass success that was starting to spring up by this time. But you look at uh, 87, 88, 89, 90, moving into the 90s. Now, by this time, you get in the 90s and the whole glam thing, because of Nirvana, starts to push itself away and doesn't start to be as cool anymore. We had a band called Dark Angel that's interviewed in this in this movie, and right. they started out in that thrash world. But the whole metal thing started to really kind of change and evolve. And I think record labels didn't know how they were going to spend their money and put their money behind. And unfortunately, Dark Angel fell by the wayside because they probably thought well we're gonna put our 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 money into the newer bands that are coming on board you know even though that last album was produced by terry date who went on to do the pantera stuff and really had great success in the 90s producing all these great bands so you know some people benefited by the whole experience when moving into the 90s and some didn't we didn't address that that much in the movie series but i guess that's the next phase if we were ever to (laughs) tell that story Right. Um, moved into the 90s that would be a good place to start cool and we are talking with carl alvarez of the inside metal documentary series again you guys have to see this the rise of la thrash metal it's an important story that needed to be told and you along with with bob nelbandian have have done a great job in, in telling the story uh who's doing the, the the voiceover on this can you tell us a little bit about the uh the narration yeah, David Elson um, is doing the narration, and you know, much like Sounds what John, great. Yeah. yeah, much like what John Bush did. You know, David David came from the Midwest, but he came at the right came in at the right place at the right time in 1983, and you know that story has been told of how he met up with uh, Dave Mustaine and the rest is history. So he saw the scene really from the ground up and he was seeing these bands that what we're, we were seeing the Steelers and the rough cuts, but they, they, Dave actually had a vision, Dave Mustaine and, you know, we're not going to play LA. We're going to play the outskirts or we're going to go up to San Francisco because that's where thrash metal is at. And that's, you know, and he was right. You know, right. every move was completely calculated correctly for, Megadeth stake for their success. So it's great to have him in there, not only talking about it and narrating, but just kind of having that, knowing this person really came from that place and, and it really brings the authenticity to it. So it's, it's really cool to have him there. Absolutely. Definitely a great addition. And the, let's see, John Bush did the voiceover on the, the second one, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah, and he's featured in the third one too. Because Armand Saint, there, there, there's another band too that really were part of the the whole. I call it the second wave, meaning the first wave is Van Halen and the second wave is Motley Crue, Quiet Riot. So they're in the mix of that, but they still kind of had that outskirt type mentality too, where the thrash bands were also a part of. So. It was important to put them in there too because it's they, they evolved into that too as well, although they were kind of a little different from the more thrashier bands. 
Right on. Definitely. Yeah. And they always seemed like they were kind of stuck in this weird spot. Like they weren't, they weren't really commercial hard rock, you know, but they, they, and they definitely weren't thrash. And I, I always felt like bands like that really, I mean, you can almost put Leather Wolf in the same, Leather Wolf, definitely a very different sound than Armored Saint, but they were one of those bands that didn't really fall into any of the, uh, the, the genres quite they didn't fit nicely with anything, you know. Um, even Racer X, I mean, they were kind of an oddball band in the LA scene. Yeah, you know, I think when we talk about Armored Saint and and they they had to co and Leather Wolf, we had to, they had to coexist with appeasing the record company and because they wanted to make they wanted to benefit from their investment, obviously. But yet, the, you know, there's a growing sense of confusion of what are we? Are we a heavy band? Are we a thrash band? Are we a guitar heavy band? Are we a commercial? We got some pop getting on pop radio or commercial radio. I mean, this it, they just didn't know where they stood after a while, you know? So yeah, yeah. Totally. a lot of bands fell into that. So, uh, But talking about the movie, yeah, you know, I think we cover a lot. We get into stories probably most people haven't heard about. Um, so if, if you're coming at it even as a, a person that's not familiar with it and you you like music, you like heavy music, or you like these thrash bands, there's a lot lot to pull from. And there's also for the fan who is really into it to really um, get self-absorbed into it because the stories are great, you know, in terms of uh, really describing what was going on vividly and from from everybody that we interviewed so it's a uh, it's something something cool <laughs> yeah i mean it's, the amount of interviews you guys did for for this whole series is is staggering i mean what, it had to be like what 40 40 50 interviews we, uh if you look at it collectively we did about 65 I wow believe. okay wow i wow. think for this movie we, there's 25 to 30 um, but we tried to cover the whole spectrum. I mean, we got everybody from, you know, Ernie C from, from body count, um, who is interesting. We, we talk a little bit about how he met up with Dave Mustaine and that whole thing. So there were, uh, you know, all of these people's worlds kind of intertwine at some point or another, whether they're playing the same venues because these thrash bands couldn't play the the bigger sunset strip type venues and they had to go to and play in the outskirts. But, you know, Megadeth had their booking agent that was putting, booking them into these kind of more outskirt places where more of the fans were that that's, that's where they wanted to reach. So, yeah. um, yeah, so we try to cover the whole spectrum of, of, of these bands and, you know, even talking to Stephen Craig, the first manager for Slayer and just, you know, it's interesting to see that, him and Carrie really they just honed in on the concept and that concept still holds today of how down to the logo and the attitude and um how they were going to be on stage and just just the whole thing so it's amazing to see these people who were not considered in the music scene and appreciated that they actually had more of a vision than these other bands that were signed to record labels that, you know, seem to have every endorsement and money thrown at them and the cool tours. I mean, that didn't happen later for the thrash bands until later when they got these tours. But right it's it's interesting to see that evolution. 
Absolutely. And again, guys, we'll have links up in today's show notes where you can purchase the DVDs for Inside Metal, The Rise of... Wait, am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, The Rise of L.A. Thrash Metal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So they're both available, and uh, definitely look for it on uh, when you post this interview up. Yeah. And yeah, you should be able to find it. And anyway. the other two, I, I don't have my notes in front of me, but uh, The Pioneers, right? The Pioneers mm-hmm. is the first the one? L- yeah, the, LA, the Pioneers of L.A. Hard Rock and, and Metal. And L.A. Metal Scene Explodes, is that that's yep. the second one? Okay, good. Yep. All right, and they're all great. I, I, I love that L.A. Metal Scene Explodes, which I, I was telling Bob, I just actually was re-watching that recently on the night flight app which is a very cool streaming app you know in the in the same style as as netflix but it's just has all these cool documentaries and concerts and uh you know weird old movies and stuff the night flight app is a a subscription-based streaming television app and and you guys at least your your second one is is up on on netflix or not oh. Netflix? What did I say? Night flight. Night, night flight. flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it, it, you have to be forty-five years or older to <laughs> remember what night flight was, but right. it was kind of cutting edge if you had basic cable. But besides watching MTV, you could watch night flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's Friday night videos too. I used to watch. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We we never had like it took a while for the cable to get to our town. So I like really it was Friday night videos, and they used to show this weird show after that called Rock Palace. Which was oh, like, uh, which was interesting. It had like Dio and Alcatraz and Sabbath were on it, but yeah, it was a uh, different time. That's for sure. Back in those days. So it was great talking to you, Mark. Um, yeah, I mean, go out and get it. I guarantee you're going to get oh, the bang for your buck on it. It's it's definitely worth it. just based on the feedback we've gotten. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Highly recommended. Thank you, Carl. We will talk to you soon. Very good.
That was Black Magic by Slayer going way back. Guys, we desperately need your support on Patreon, and we want to see you at Heavy Montreal. So let's uh, hear from the Heavy Montreal folks right now. Coors Light presents Heavy Montreal, July 28th and 29th, outdoors at Parc Jean Drapeau, featuring Avenged Sevenfold, Rob Zombie, and Marilyn Manson. A weekend of hard rock and metal with Gojira, Emperor, Under Oath, Hollywood Undead, and many more. Festival passes are on sale now. See the full lineup at heavymontreal.com. Produced by Avenco. And to take us out, a little Megadeth live. This is in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And this is In My Darkest Hour. One of the classic Megadeth songs from an L.A. thrash band here live again in Argentina. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time.
Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.